Hi everyone, I'm Morgan. And I'm Jessica. You are listening to Suspicion. Suspicion. We are so close to each other right now. It's uncomfortable. It's really <laughs> So I forgot our splitter today so that we can use two microphones. And now we're using one and we're really kind of too close. We are like on top of each other. But we will do what it takes to have good sound quality for everyone. Mm-hmm. Also, even if we didn't use the microphone, we don't have other microphones because they're in my apartment. Right. Yeah. And these ones are so much better. They're so much better, yeah. So, I hope you all liked last week's episode. I had such a good time listening to it and editing it. Some of the behind the scenes moments that got edited out for the final cut were hilarious. Yeah, but dad got so into it that he was like really, you know, playing for the crowd. And so a lot of the times I had to say, Stop. No. That's not going to work. I think he did a great job, and the two of you had great chemistry for it. (laughs) I know, even though we were both sick. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I appreciate you both. Thanks for editing it. You got it. Um, And next week, fast forward a little bit, Morgan is actually going to be away, so Mm -hmm. we're going to have another (laughs) (laughs) surprise guest. So we've had quite a few lately, but it's fun. Everyone in our family wants to be involved. So, And if you haven't picked up already, we have a large family. So we'll always have a special guest when one of us is gone. Today's story is really crazy. It's definitely different than what we typically cover. Yeah. But it's definitely in my... A land of interests, I would say. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a huge, like, mountaineering fan. I'm really into, like, climbing and mountaineering, but watching other people do it, not do it myself. I think I kind of knew that, but not to the extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've probably Uh seen every single documentary possible on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. Well, it's so fascinating because we're both... We hike, but climbers and cross-country skiers and rock climbers and ice climbers that's way out of our realm yeah I like to describe myself as an indoor person yeah you are definitely (laughs) an indoor person yeah so on that note Today, we are going to be doing the Dyatlov Pass incident. So I'm going to give a very quick PSA. We always try really hard to make sure we're getting pronunciation right on the names. There are a lot of names in here, and they are definitely a little tricky for us. So please bear with us on the pronunciation today. Thanks for the PSA, Jess. Yep. (laughs) Oh, man. The Dyatlov Pass incident began with a group of students from the Ural Polytechnical Institute, as well as an older ski instructor, who went on an expedition to the Otorten Mountain in the northern Urals. While the Urals are not known in the hiking and skiing communities as being one of the most dangerous mountains in the world in terms of altitude or scale, they do have crevasses and anomalies that can throw a compass up to 30% off of its form. 
Yeah, so just like weird electrical or phenomenons that can, when you have like a compass and you're looking at it and it's pointing north, something in these mountains can make the compass just kind of go like really off of its axis. There's also a naturally created wind tunnel between two mountain peaks that can cause a lot of issues for people. In order to ascend to the peak of Otorten, they would have to pass through this tunnel. Many believe that this tunnel is sacred to the local indigenous people called the Mansi. The legend saying that Otorten means don't go there. Yeah, or no. or I know. And the other mountain um, that they're going to go on, it's also called the Dead Mountain. Spooky on Halloween. So this group of students was led by Igor Dyatlov. They set out to cover 190 miles across the North Ural Mountains on a 16-day itinerary. Oh, and it's cold? Yeah, no, no thank you. At the end of the trip, they would make contact by telegram. The group of nine left on January 23rd, 1959, hence the telegram. Yes, hence the telegram encompasses. Um, The main reason why this group was going on this trek was they were all really active in the mountaineering and the skiing communities. And something that I found at the time of this, and I think still today, in Russia, if you want to be kind of like seen as an expert mountaineer or expert ski instructor, things like that, you kind of have to do these um, tests to kind of get yourself more ratings. Okay, And so this was going to kind of boost everyone, except for Igor, because he was already there, boost everyone up to the level of expert. Ah, so interesting. If they, yeah, so if they completed this, they would get enough, like, points or something, and then they would all be seen in the community as expert hikers, skiers, etc. Okay. Mm-hmm. The group made their way to a village called Vizhe by train. And then took a truck to a place called Nord 2, which was the last human settlement in the area before they began their ski trip. On January 28th, one of the hikers, Yuri Yudin, had sciatic nerve pain that started to become inflamed. He spent that day collecting rock samples to hopefully outride the discomfort, but whether you want to see it as unfortunately or lucky for him, the pain was so severe that he ended up turning back at this point. The nine others continued without him by foot and skis, following a river into the mountains with recovered photos and journals saying there was a lot of snow and bad weather that was slowing them down, but other than that, everything was going smoothly. Ten days into the trip, on February 1st, they set up a campsite for the night on the eastern ridge of Height 1079, known to the indigenous Mansi population as Holachal, or the Dead Mountain, as Morgan teased. I kind of got chills. 
Yeah, it's creepy. On this night, something strange happened. Later, we would discover that the group cut their way out of their tent that night. Shoeless and underdressed, some only in their underwear, they made their way into a night of temperatures below negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit. So they're first making a long hiking trip, right? But they're in the dead of winter in the mountains. So already this sounds like a nightmare to me. Right? But that's what they do. I know. But then you take shelter at a place called Dead Mountain. I know that gives me the heebie-jeebies, but we don't know that they knew that. Yeah, we don't. They probably did, though. I'm, I imagine that they would have studied where they were going. Well, Igor, um, who was the leader of the group, he was, like, fascinated with the Ural Mountains. Okay. So, so he knew what was up. <clears throat> yeah. I think it was Igor. Might have been one of the others. He was the head, so. Yeah. We'll see later on. When the group never made their final contact, a search party was sent out on February 20th not finding anything until on the sixth day of the search where they found the students' sliced open tent. The following day, after the searchers found the open tent, under a big tree at the edge of the forest were the bodies of two of the students, found only about a mile away from their campsite. They were both down to their underwear, lying by campfire remnants. The bodies of three more were found as well. These next three bodies were found at different distances between the tent and the tree. It'll say later on that these three bodies, it seems like they were trying to make their way back to their original campsite. The remaining four were not able to be located until May when the snow melted. They were just completely covered in the snow, like buried. Hmm, okay. The first five of the skiers that were found had autopsies that revealed they had died of hypothermia. Which makes sense. Yeah. Because when you go into severe hypothermia, you feel really hot and you mm-hmm. take your clothes off. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that the two in their underwear would have been hypothermic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. The remaining four were found in May in a den that they had created themselves at the bottom of a ravine to protect themselves from the winds. And this was a common way to survive winters that a lot of soldiers would use during World War II. Okay. And one of the members of this group was um, had been a soldier So he would have known, okay, let's dig a den. When they found these bodies, this is where it kind of changes the course of the investigation. They found that one of the bodies had a fractured skull. Two had fractured ribs. Uh, The other ones had minor injuries. And the autopsy was immediately ruled hypothermia. Cause of death by hypothermia. But it's interesting that they would have all of these other 
Injuries. Injuries. And then when we go into the cause of deaths, you'll see it gets a little bit weirder. Okay. Okay. The medical examiner, however, believed that these injuries had been from a fall or a small avalanche of ice and snow. And in the ravine, at the bottom of the ravine, it was pretty rocky. So the injuries could have been from that. But as we're going to see with this case, it's, it's hard to figure out what's right. It could have been from that, but then there's reasons why it might not, it might not have been. What authorities and the searchers believed happened based on the evidence that they recovered from the scene. The hikers were sleeping when all of a sudden, for an unknown reason, they cut the tent open with a knife and ran down the slope into the nearby woods. Then they were either unable or not willing to return to the campsite. At the tree... Two of these students started a fire, but it quickly died. So seeing that the fire wasn't going to help everyone, three of the other hikers tried to get back to their campsite, but died on the slope, not being able to find it. The last four went deeper into the woods, triggering a minor avalanche that forced them over the edge of the ravine, dropping about nine feet, and creating those injuries. Russian authorities quickly closed the case, saying, quote, the cause of death was an unknown compelling force which the hikers were unable to overcome, unquote. And I see you wrote, WTF, what does that mean? <laughs> exactly. And that's why we're telling this story. Okay, that's the most bizarre, non-helpful composition of words that I've mm -hmm. ever heard. Do you want to know something else too? Is this just an issue with translation or no. is this like what they said? No, because we have a quote from the closing closing of the case from the authorities at the end of this. And it says the exact same thing in unknown force. So, okay, for me, I'm going to be honest right now. This idea of what happens kind of makes sense to me okay at this point my question here is why did they run out of the tents and that's what everybody thinks about i can totally see that they got caught in like a snowstorm or something and they just all you know died of altitude or you know hypothermia but why did they leave their tent why did they cut their tent open is the thing not like they just like opened the tent and ran out. It was sliced open. Also, just another thing. The this case was um, under wraps for like fifty years. But they didn't. They didn't release, release any information no. about it. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Which is why people have so many theories about it. Oh. Because mm -hmm. if it was just like an avalanche, why wouldn't they release it? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. that Yeah. So, I mean, you can think whatever you want about how they died, but the thing that nobody can definitively say is why they left their tent. And these are all experienced hikers and skiers. They would know 
we probably shouldn't leave our shelter in the middle of a snowstorm. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's go into the cause of death. I'm going to say the names of the people here, but we'll go um, deeper into who they were at the end so that we can kind of end talking about who these people were instead of what happened to them. So Yuri D, there's many Yuris, Yuri D had pulmonary edema and pulmonary contusion as a result of blunt trauma. That was his cause of death. Gregory bit off a piece of his own knuckle to either stay awake, stifle a cry, and he had third-degree burns that cannot be sustained if you fall asleep still alive. So think about that. Igor had been vomiting blood when he died, and Zena had a baton-shaped bruise on her waist. Still, their cause of deaths was considered hypothermia. Rustem, cause of death, hypothermia, but he had severe frontal skull trauma that could either be from an accident or more likely from being hit in the head by something or someone. How can you tell if it was an accident or being hit in the head, though? See, again, you don't know. Okay, keep going. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Okay. Okay. Ludmilla's cause of death was of hemorrhage into the right atrium of her heart with multiple fractured ribs and internal bleeding from severe chest trauma. Nikolai, his cause of death was a fatal skull injury, and Sasha was death by severe chest trauma. And his eyes were missing. Another thing that's really weird. So Ludmilla, she, her mouth was open when they found her. And her tongue was missing. I think her eyes were missing as well. And Sasha, his eyes were missing. So at first I thought, okay, animals. You know, animals must have gotten to them. But these were two of the bodies that were buried underneath snow. That they couldn't find until the snow melted. Wait, did her tongue look cut out or? They don't say. Because I'm. They don't. I, I, you can definitely tell if it's well, like cut or if it's like. It was hard. It, or, um, it was hard too because her, um, because her mouth was open and they were by a ravine. Water got in there too. But I don't know. Her tongue was missing. Her eyes were missing. She had fractured. Ra- it, I mean, I don't know. Okay, see, the fractured ribs, the skull injury, the frontal skull trauma. Uh-huh. For me, all like severe chest trauma, all of that I think is explainable with a f- nine-foot fall. I mean, yeah. they fell nine feet apparently, right? Apparently, yeah. So that makes sense to me in terms of an accident. Mm-hmm. The eyes and tongue thing. Right? Isn't that weird? Uh, I don't have an explanation for that one. So first off, I want to mention too, pulmonary edema is a condition caused by excess fluid in the lungs. It's caused by a heart condition or 
pneumonia, exposure to certain toxins and drugs, and also being at high elevations. So they probably were at high so, elevation? Yeah, so it's not as, you know, crazy as it sounds for your Okay, days. what about the third degree burns that cannot yeah, be sustained if you fall asleep alive? Not fall asleep, like the thing is that the third degree burns, he was clearly dead when he received the burns? Is that what this is saying? I don't know if it's saying that or if it's saying that you can only get them if you're dead. Or you can only get them if you're alive. This sounds like it's saying you can only get, get them, them if, if you're, you're dead. dead. Yeah. So they think he was dead before he got the third degree burns. burns. Yeah. Okay. That's weird. But I guess you can get but burns from snow. Can you? Well, if it's super, super cold, right? Like dry ice cold. Yeah. It is snow that cold? I don't think so. And think it would say you'd have severe frostbite. So, the all right. I looked at the pictures of their bodies, right? Yeah. Don't do not do it. Um, but also, so there's this website and um, we're going to – this is where I got all of it, most of the information. And it's called diatlovepass.com. And this website is so detailed about this case. It's broken down in timelines, the searchers, all of the theories. Um, It has each individual person's autopsy. So I tried to go through it as much as I could, but to put it all in here would have been like a four-part episode. So go there if you're really interested to see because this is just their cause of death. There were so many other injuries that each person had. And this website has kind of like um, a view of the person, like an outline of, of like a woman's body. So for like Ludmilla, it had an outline of her body. And then it pinpointed like specific areas that were of concern. So it has like a picture of her face. And then it has different parts, like um, for one, she has soft tissues are missing around eyes, eyebrows, nose bridge, and left cheekbone is partially exposed. Damaged tissues around left temporal bone, eyeballs are missing. Nose cartilage broken and flattened. But she was one of the people who wasn't found until May, correct? Exactly. So could some of this be due then to decomposition? Like the soft tissue missing? Yeah, it could. Yeah. She was out there for February to March, March to April, April to May, like three months. I yeah. mean, it was cold, but, but doesn't, I don't think it would totally... Yeah, doesn't coldness, though, like, preserve a body? Yeah, but I think it has to be, like, constantly at a certain yeah, temperature. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And they're yeah. exposed to water, right? Yeah, and something else that is really interesting, too, when you're looking through this... The four um, that were found in May, their autopsies weren't, like, there's not as much information about their autopsies. It's as if they didn't do as much of a thorough autopsy than they had for the previous five. That's what they say on this website. 
So I'm not sure. This website is clearly like skewed towards that something was covered up and something happened. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it still has, it has diary entries. It has photos from the cameras that they found at the campsite from these people. So it has like everything. Also something else that I, I couldn't help but pick up on. There were two women in this group. Two women, seven men. For both of the women's autopsies, at the end, it mentions Ludmilla and Zina were not sexually active at the time of their deaths. And it pointed that out for both of them to say, almost to say, like, it couldn't have been somebody else because they didn't assault the girls. Oh, that's what that website says. Which I also find something that that's interesting that that because could be like, a, oh, it can't be somebody else because these two girls weren't assaulted. Well, that's not legit. Not legit. No. Because not everyone is... Gonna assault Not every someone. woman is sexually assaulted when they're exactly. murdered. I know. So I don't know why they would put that out there. It's weird. All right. Okay. Let's get, dive get, in. Get to, my, get to my other interesting thing. Okay. Let's dive into some theories here, everyone. I and love a good theory. You can start to make some thoughts of your own. Two interesting things. On May 27th, radi- radiation analysis was reported to have been done on the clothes and tissues of the last four bodies that were found, but nothing has been released. When the bodies of the others were found, the lower branches were cleared of snow, making it seem like someone was climbing it. Okay, but does it have to be from someone climbing so, it? No, so this at the tree where they found the first two bodies, it's not just that the lower branches were like cleared, but they were like broken off. Like there were pieces broken off. And so they speculated that they had been trying to climb the tree to get away from something or to, you know, get, be out of the snow or something like that. I think that what they probably were doing was trying to take off the branches to use as firewood. Or or snow gets really heavy and breaks branches. Yeah, but why would it only break on the bottom? Wouldn't it break from the top down? Not necessarily. It's whatever if the branches that are weaker. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay, so then why did they do radiation analysis and why haven't they said anything about it? One of, well, one of the people mm-hmm. worked at a plant and cleaned up a radiation spill, correct? Correct. So, okay, let's go through all of these different things and then let's come back to ones we want to discuss. Okay. Because yeah. I have my thought. Okay. 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 Many people have also speculated throughout the years um, – about other theories ranging from a serial killer to an avalanche to animal attacks to secret weapons to military cover-ups to gravity anomalies to fires in the tent to killer snowmen. Yetis. That's my uh, theory. That's no. <laughs> to UFOs and insanity by drug abuse. Mm-hmm. So. So one thing about the drug abuse 
there's these mushrooms that grow in the area. And according to the like local indigenous people, the mushrooms can cause you to basically have like an acid trip. Like shrooms. Like, sh- yeah, like actual shrooms, but kind of worse. So they think maybe, you know, the people who think that it was the drug abuse thing, they believe that maybe they picked these up for food. And then they all like had a psychotic break. And that's why they they cut their tent open and ran out. But no evidence of like Okay. I know. Uh to address the fire in the tent theory, there was no evidence found suggesting that that could be true. Um, At the time, there were records of parachute mines being tested by the Soviet military in the area, but they didn't find traces of an explosive or metallic parts nearby. Or did they, and they just covered it up? I was just going to say that. (laughs) Like, how would we know? I know. We don't really know. We don't know. Because this is everything that we're getting, like, 50-plus years later. There were also reports of light balls observed in the sky over the Ural Mountains the night the hikers died. And you can see these pictures. I'm not saying UFOs exist, <laughs> but there was... I don't even know if it was UFO, but, I mean, if it could have been some something. Like a missile or... <laughs> this one is... That's too much for me. I know. I'm not a crazy conspiracy theorist, she, everyone. She definitely but, is, actually, everyone. I, I I appreciate the thought okay. for this one, for just this case. Most recently, research suggests that there was a rare weather phenomenon of whirlwinds formed by the air flowing over the summit of Holachal that created infrasound vibrations. The sound was below the range of human hearing that affects the human nervous system, which could have caused irrational fear in the group, which would have caused them to flee the site and then become lost in the snowstorm. Mm -hmm. The most widely accepted explanation is a sudden slab avalanche in the middle of the night. An avalanche formed by a sliding sheet of hard, dense snow moving down a slope These are responsible for about 90% of all avalanche deaths. On the day of the Dyatlov group's death, the snow at the campsite was about six feet deep, and the hikers had to dig into the snow to set the tent. The terrain on the slopes of this mountain area are very rugged with boulders sticking out of the ground, which would make an avalanche unlikely. And even if an avalanche was coming towards them, it... The way that they had themselves dug in, it only would have kind of, like, like gone over the tent or, like, sagged the tent. It wouldn't, have like, wipe the tent away. Okay. And there's also a photograph of they had kind of – it looks like a cross almost, and it shows that they're not really, like, on a slope. So it also wouldn't have affected them as much as a normal avalanche. And this area does not have avalanches. Okay. And the problem with the hypothermia explanation. Many people focus on the paradoxical undressing, which is what I brought up earlier. People, when they're in severe hypothermia, 
actually do undress. Mm-hmm. It's a weird thing with the nervous system or something, I think. Yeah, they feel like they're burning up. The hikers believed they were burning up, and then they take their clothes off as a symptom of hypothermia. But only the first two bodies were undressed, and their clothing appeared to have been removed after they died. So the question is, did the other hikers know they were dying and take their clothes with them to keep themselves warmer? And yes, it appears that is what happened in this case because the clothes from the two hikers that died by the tree were actually found in the den with the four um, people who are found last. Yeah. So it's not like they were running away and they were like tossing their clothes off like a lot of people believed at first. They were dead and then their clothes were How can they tell that? Rigor. Like, the way that you die, if you, like, die on your side, you have all the blood there. Okay. When they died, they were turned. Like, they could tell that they were turned. So, they, like, died. Say they, like, died on their side and it started to pool there. Then they took their clothes off and then they were turned, like, on their back. There would be some stuff there. I don't know. It's science. Okay. (laughs) But, come on. Okay, but, I mean, it makes sense because the people had them with them in the den. Yeah. 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 Okay, so, Morg, at this point, you want to give what you think. Okay, so, coming into this story, I have heard about this story and, like, I've looked at it briefly a few times. I had this theory, and I literally had this theory until... Maybe three hours ago. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because what I have not told you, Jessica, is that I have been going through this website like crazy. I can't stop. Like, I can't get enough of it. Okay. I originally believed that the Mansi tribe, the indigenous people, that they were somehow to blame because... They're very secluded people who considered the mountains their hunting grounds. And they also had holy places kind of scattered around the northern Urals of stones and prayer houses. So I thought maybe they saw these people encroaching on their sacred lands. Maybe tried to scare them or something. Got them out of the tent. And then they just died in the snowstorm. However... I also believe more so now from reading that website that they were railroaded by the government for being different. Because at the time, it was communist and um, they were Christian. And these people were kind of seen as pagans. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, they were targeted and also... um, the Mansi people themselves and ethnographers have shown that there were no religious shrines near there. And there's been, like, no reports of any kind of, like, violent activity from them. Okay. Now, I lean more towards either the mushrooms. I do find that that infrasound theory interesting as well. That it would cause, like, there was, like, some wind sounds or something that, like, caused them to go crazy. Because what I can never get past is the fact that they cut themselves out of the tent. Which means that all of them, because they all ran out of the tent. 
So I think all nine of them had to have been like thinking something was going on. Right. It couldn't have just been like one of them who's like, I gotta get out of here and cuts the tent and they all run out because why would you follow someone running out of right. a tent in a snowstorm? So I think it, it could have been the mushrooms. Yeah. I, I, that's the theory I like as You well. like the mushrooms? I like the mushrooms or the radiation or yeah. the infrasound or something. The infrasound stuff I buy, have you ever heard a sound and it makes you feel physically ill? You mean when you try to sing? (laughs) Dev, do not react. (laughs) Bada bing. (laughs) No, I mean listening to your voice on this podcast when I'm editing. Too late. (laughs) Too late. I already burned you. Okay. Um... Well, no, I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. But they're just, it's hard because there's, all of them are so experienced that I just can't believe that, like, a sound would make them cut out of their tent. Yeah, I mean, if it's something they've never experienced before. The radiation one is interesting. Maybe someone in the tent was telling spooky stories and then they heard a noise and they all got real spooked. I think that's like what people think with the Yeti one. I don't even look at the Yeti theory because I'm like, they found the most snowman, you know? It's true. Mm, no. I don't know. I think it could have been the mushrooms. Yeah. But but then to the point of them being experienced, they would have known. They even know what to eat or not eat. Yes, exactly. What about the radiation? You don't like that? I don't. I do, but I don't understand how it would have. So one of the. It's not like it was their first night. Exactly. Exactly. One of the hikers, he cleaned up a radiation site. And, but I don't think he would have passed it on to them. In a strong At this point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he would have maybe gone crazy, but again, I don't know why they would have followed him. Okay, so I think we'll go with infrasound. Yeah, I still like the mushrooms. Okay. Do you know what dad thinks? What? Because dad and I talked about this yesterday at our niece's first birthday party. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's like, they they were doing testing there and something happened. KGB. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, also, there's a theory that three of the guys were all um, military and, like, government workers. So there's this theory that they were secret agents and they were sent up on this trip to, like, find CIA spies and then something went wrong. Like, they were found out or something. Yeah. I still that think it was like the mushroom. That one's fun, but yeah, doesn't feel right to me. No, because there also was no evidence of a third party, and that's another reason. Well, that's another reason why I thought, oh, the Mansi tribe couldn't have done it. But at the same time, they know the area very well. But I don't know. I still think more likely it was the infrasound or the shrooms. Yep. Don't do drugs, kids. Yeah, don't. All right. Case closed. From the Diatlov Pass website, 
Basically, the Russian authorities believe that Dyatlov himself made a series of mistakes that put the group in a horrible position for the weather, which in turn caused their deaths. So they break it down where they say that Igor did all of these things like leading them through a wind tunnel and um, not like looking at the weather enough. So that's why they slowed down and they were exhausted. They were pitched their tent on a slope and all of these different like human mistakes, which I could believe too after just listening to um, a podcast about the Donner Party, uh-huh. um, a, a group of settlers from um, Minnesota to California, and again, human error caused them to, a lot of them die. And that's also a fascinating story because they, they, ate, they ate their dead friends. If you're in that situation, you got to do it. Uh, yeah, I would let you do that. I've told you before, don't eat me. I know. <laughs> You're so rude. Okay. So, the official statement for closing the case given by the junior counselor of justice and criminal prosecutor, Lev Ivanov, Ivanov, quote, considering the absence of external injuries to the bodies or signs of a fight, <clears throat> wrong, the presence of all the valuables of the group, and also taking into account the conclusion of the medical examinations for the causes of the deaths of the hikers, it is concluded that the cause of their demise was overwhelming force, which the hikers were not able to overcome, unquote. Okay, does it make sense on so many levels? One, there what were the heck is injuries. the overwhelming force? Most Weirdest statement I've ever heard. I know. Two, there were external injuries to the body. So incorrect. Three, is the idea that their valuables were still on them, that doesn't prove anything. Yeah. I know. It's like the same thing about the sexual assault. It doesn't... It's like unless you're robbed or sexually assaulted, then there wasn't a crime committed? It's... Yeah. It's basically like saying... I don't know. It's like saying something happened without saying anything happened. Yeah. Like being like, oh, the case is closed because... There was overwhelming force. Yeah. But not saying what happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, this year in 2019, Russian investigators have reopened the case. And they are using three distinctive theories to determine the cause of death. Either by... An avalanche, a snow slab, or a hurricane. So, to be continued. I wrote, but, because this is so weird. So, when I was researching more about the Mansi tribe, because, I, you know, like I said, I thought that they could have done it. When they said there has been no violent, like, action by them in the decades since, or even really before this, there have been a lot of suspicious plane crashes in this area with helicopters like like spinning out of control like being perfectly fine then spinning out of control and crashing onto the mountain or um there's one where a plane like a small plane 
fell out of the sky. But you don't think the Mansi tribe was to do no, that? No, 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 no. This is just when I was, like, looking at oh, that. Oh, okay, sorry. So, there was one where a plane crashed. Everyone survived. And the pilot was like, I don't know what happened. Like, literally, the plane was fine. And then all of a sudden, when we were going over this area, it just went off. Like, it went haywire. So, that is also making me think about the infrasound. Or, like, weird weather anomalies. Or, yeah. Or, like, the weather or something. Spooktastic. Never say that again. So... Now we'd like to tell you a little bit more about who these nine people in this group were. Igor Dyatlov was the most experienced mountaineer of the group. He was also the leader of this group. He was a student of the fifth faculty of radio engineering at UPI University. He was known as an extremely talented engineer, a passionate hiker, and he was at the peak of his physical and athletic ability He was respected by the ski hiking community. He was 23 years old when he died. Yuri Durahenko was a fourth-year student of radio engineering at UPI. He was described as having an impulsive personality. And one time on a camping trip with the school's hiking club, he ran at a bear with with a hammer. I mean, the move with bears is to show that you're more powerful, right? I guess so. I think some bears. So he maybe knows what's up. Yeah. (laughs) He was 21 years old when he died. Ludmila Alexandrovna Dubinina, also known as Ludya, was the youngest of the Dyatlov group. She was a fourth-year student at UPI University as an engineering and economics major. She took an active part in the activities of the Institute's Institute sports clubs. She loved to sing and to take pictures. She had a lot of mountaineering experience. During a hike through the eastern Cyan Mountains in 1957, she was accidentally shot in the leg by a hunter who accompanied the students, and she made it all the way back down while injured. She was 20 years old when she died. Semyon Alexandrovich Zolotaryov also known as Sasha, graduated from the Institute of Physical Education in Minsk in 1950. He was an instructor at the tour base at the time of his death. Sasha was the oldest of the group. He died on his 38th birthday. Georgi Krivonyshenko was known as a court jester. He was a friend of Igor Dyatlov, and he took part in almost all the expeditions that Igor went on. His parents were well-educated and influential people, and he often hosted Dyatlov along with a lot of the rest of the group at their house. Georgie was also known as Yuri, and was said to have been the life of the party. He studied construction and hydraulics at UPI University and graduated in 1957. While working in a secret nuclear facility, he experienced a disaster that became known as Kishtim Disaster. On September 29, 1957, the plutonium plant experienced a radioactive leak. Yuri was one of the people who was sent to clean it up. When his body was found during this disaster, he was wearing clothes that had traces of radioactivity that some linked to this particular event. 
However, being a specialist engineer, Yuri had more knowledge about radioactivity than others and means to avoid unwanted exposure. He was five days away from his 24th birthday when he died. Yeah, so I don't think he brought any radioactivity with him. It was two years before this. Did you watch the Chernobyl yes. docuseries on... We're not docuseries. I don't know what it's called. Miniseries. Miniseries. On HBO? Yeah. Yeah. This made me think of that. Same. So crazy. Okay. Everybody go watch that because it's incredible. It is. Rustem Slobodin graduated from the UPI University in 1958 and was working in Enterprise PO Box 10 at the time of the events. He was a very athletic man, honest and decent. Rustem, also known as Rustic, was a man of few words. He was a long-distance runner, liked to play a mandolin, which he often took with him during long hiking trips. In the summer of 1958, Rustem and his father traversed from Franz to Andijan, where Rustem's older brother worked. This 300-kilometer trek took place in a mountain mountain sparsely populated area of western Tian Shan. He was 23 years old when he died. Alexander Kolvatov was a fourth year student studying nuclear physics at the UPI University. He was the fifth of six children and the only boy in the family. All of his sisters loved him very much. The Dyatlov group seemed to have celebrated Alexander's birthday on January 30th. His present was a tangerine, which he readily distributed among his friends. Mm -hmm. This took place two days before they all perished in the treacherous Ural Mountains. He was 24 years old when he died. Nicholas Thibault Brignolel was known as Thibault. He graduated in 1958 with a degree in civil engineering from UPI University. At the time of his death, he was working in the construction department of Sverd. Lofsk. Thibaut had experience in hiking trips of various categories of difficulty and was very popular among UPI students. Everyone who knew Thibaut noted his energy, inventiveness, friendliness, and humor. He was 23 years old when he died. Zinaida Kolmogorova, also known as Zina? was a fifth-year student at UPI University as a radio engineering major. She was an experienced hiker who had her share of difficulties. During one of her trips, she was bitten by a viper. Despite pain and suffering, she refused to lighten her load, unwilling to cause hardship to others. She was very outgoing and energetic. People who knew her said that she was the engine of the university. She was always full of ideas and was liked by everyone. She was exceptionally sociable, and she treated everyone with fondness and respect. Zena had gone to six expeditions, and she was always going to the treks led by Igor Dyatlov. Like Igor himself, Zena was interested in radio, which led to her major in radio engineering. The two were always seen together. She was 22 years old when she died. Okay, so if you guys want a little bit of romance... It's not explicitly said that Zena and Igor were in a relationship, but if you read their diary entries, you can kind of tell that they liked each other. Oh, and it's so cute. cute. Yuri Yudin 
was the only survivor of the group. Yuri was a fourth-year student in the Engineering and Economics Department of UPI. He also may have been dating or in love with Ludmilla. And Ludmilla writes in her diary about when Yuri left um, because of his sciatic nerve. She, she wrote, it's so upsetting saying goodbye to him. Aww. And that's the reason why he was on the trip was because of her. A year after the tragic events, he graduated from the Engineering and Economics Department of the UPI University. He worked at a local magnesium plant and stayed in the city until his term was up. Shortly before his death, the 75-year-old man locked himself in an apartment. To friends and acquaintances, he explained his reclusion as, quote, I'm writing a novel about the... Dyatlov Pass, unquote. When they found Yuri's body, they did not find the manuscript of the novel, only a lot of newspaper clippings about the ill-fated pass and attempts to substantiate what had happened. I thought I would feel better ending talking about them, but I feel sad. Yeah. Like, I feel even sadder because they're just, like, a bunch of young kids who are so passionate about hiking and mountaineering that they decided to go out on this trip to become experts. And a lot of my friends are rock climbers, and it's it terrifies me to think that something just unknown could happen to them. Mm-hmm. It's always tough with cases when there isn't a strong – resolution maybe is the word yeah um when you are left with a lot of questions so if somebody asked you the Dyatlov pass incident what happened what would you say i i I would go with the infrasound okay and then natural but the eyes being gone is still something that's gonna be a question mark for me i know i think i want to look up more about the animals in the area, but why would they eat eyes? I don't know. Because I'm thinking if they were underground, could it have been like a snake? No, that's stupid. <laughs> that was dumb of me to think and say, maybe not a snake, but like a like a groundhog. I don't know. What lives underground? I'm an indoors person. Remember? I know. But again, why would they eat eyes? And a tongue. Yeah, like, you see animals going for, like, the liver, like, the internal organs. Really? Yeah. How do you know this? Because I'm an outdoor person. (laughs) Ish. Sure. Ish. (laughs) I'm an ish outdoor person. (laughs) All right. I don't know. Our organization spotlight this week is the UIAA. Founded in 1932, the UIAA is the International Federation for Climbing and Mountaineering. The UIAA represents the interests of over 3 million climbers and mountaineers from more than 90 member associations on on six continents. The UIAA has been recognized by the International Olympic Committee since 1995. Maintaining mountains as wild and free for the enjoyment of mountaineers and for all humankind as well as for nature itself. Knowing that these areas are the last natural, unspoiled, and free spaces on Earth. 
For more information about the UIAA or information on how you can work to create a more sustainable future, visit their website at the UIAA.org. That's the UIAA.org. They have a lot of um, resources on how they create more sustainable practices to maintain mountains. And we thought that this would be a great organization to end on because from everything that we researched about this group of people, they were very in tune with nature and they loved everything that a mountain has to offer. So we need to preserve them. Yes, seriously. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for listening to this kind of slightly different case. Um, I hope you guys liked it. It's And again, if you want to learn more and go into a rabbit hole like I have been in for the past 24 <laughs> hours, go to the website dyatlovepass.org and we'll um, post that, of course. All right. Thank you, everyone. Rate, review, subscribe. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook. We forgot to do that. Yes. And our website, suspicion.com, where we post all of our resources, pictures, and much more. Mm -hmm. And have fun next week with our special guest. Thanks, Momo. All right. Stay suspicious, everyone. Okay. Okay. (laughs)